You're listening to Ice Cream with Investors, a podcast that is dedicated to teaching you how to better invest your money so that you can live a more intentional life. I'm your host, Matt Four, and it is my goal to teach and empower you to remove the roadblocks to your financial success. All right, welcome back to the show, everyone. Today we have on the show Daniel Wood. Daniel is a property funding expert and he specializes in raising funds and has identified 25 different sources of capital that you can use to fund your own property deals. And I'm looking forward to digging deep into that. In his business, he's raised over 15 million pounds or over $20 million of investment capital in the last three years alone. Not only has he raised 15 pounds of capital, but he also teaches his students how to raise money to do their own deals through Momentum Property Education. He's the only company to offer a 12-month guarantee on his education, truly putting his money where his mouth is. But we're going to let Daniel explain more about that. Daniel, welcome to the show. Uh, Thank you so much. Honored to be here. I'm really excited to connect with the community here. Absolutely. Absolutely. So Daniel, we like to start with the hard questions here. What's your favorite ice cream? Well, I've been preparing for this question. So in Sweden here where I live, we have an amazing ice cream, which we call it dime chip. It's like chocolate chip ice cream, just that the chips are dime and it is phenomenal. And since you live in Sweden, do you just go like scoop out your own snow and throw in the chocolates and make it yourself? (laughs) Well, it's luckily it's not that bad. You know, we're not polar circle. I lived in the U.S. for a while when I was a kid. And when we got there, everyone came up to me. was like, dude, how do you pick up girls in Sweden? I'm like, well, what are you talking about? We talked to them. He said, well, yeah, but how do you get past the polar bears? (laughs) (laughs) What? First off, wrong pole. Second off, we don't have bears. We don't have penguins. We don't have things walking down the street. It's just like anywhere in the world, just sometimes a little bit colder. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm in Tampa today and it's like 81 degrees and perfect spring day. So I don't envy the cold weather up there. Right, yeah, Um, cut that in half of you got what we got in Sweden. (laughs) (laughs) Well, tell our listeners, what's the scoop? What do you do today? Well, so my specialty is international property investing. What's great about it is I'm actually not there finding deals. I'm not negotiating the deals. I'm not doing the project management. So I've been able to focus on these other areas, as you said, funding deals. So I get to work with all the fun stuff. (laughs) We get to do the due diligence. We get to pick our deals, do our strategy, and then go out and raise money. So we identified through the past decade, we've identified 25 different ways to raise finance, to fund our deals. And that's outside of like mortgages and, you know, bridging or creative financing for deals, you know, seller financing, all these fun stuff. These are 25 ways to fund a deposit on a property deal, which is really, really exciting. Through that, I mean, we had a long journey in property and I will talk more about it, but thanks to kind of the way our journey turned out, we were able to start teaching others. A lot of people started reaching out, asking us, you've been a built a successful international property portfolio. Can you teach me? And originally we actually said no. And I say we, it's me and my wife, Gisela, we run everything together. But our initial reaction was no, we did this to spend time with our family, you know, chill out by the pool. <laughs> but it's hard to say no to one, someone who's asking for help. And we we started reached, helping people who'd reached out and it just turned out to be so much fun, you know, seeing people buy properties, seeing them growing their property portfolios. So at the beginning of 2019, we decided to start Momentum Property Education together with one of the most brilliant investors I've ever met, Lukas Brzezinski, who luckily joined us and helped us create this company. And just last year alone, 2020, pandemic, everything, our clients bought well over 5 million pounds of property in that year, which is really cool considering that our first clients just came in in 2019. So they've had a good quick start starting to build portfolio. And we expect about 15 million pounds worth of property deals for our students this year. 
which we're very excited about. That's huge. I mean, just rough calculations. That's like seven and a half to eight million dollars worth of real estate transactions in the middle of a pandemic. That's amazing. Tell us where your real estate journey began, though. Tell us about your first deal. How did you get involved in real estate? Well, so Sweden is not a let's just say it's not a typical investment environment. Let's, let's just say that. And especially property. It's very heavily regulated. It's not easy to get in. It's kind of the thing. If you have a million dollars of cash, you can do very well in Sweden. If you have less, there's just no real entry into the market. So it just never was on my radar. But I was always keen on, you know, finding new ways. But I was an employee. No one in my family had a background as entrepreneurs or investors. And I was working as a consultant for these two young guys who just started their own little business. And they'd hired me as a consultant to help build that company. And as I got to know them, it turned out that they'd both been on the management track for one of the largest banks in Sweden, you know, like literally slated to become CEOs one day and like my dream career, right? <laughs> and they'd thrown all that away to start this crappy little business. And so one day I confronted them. I'm like, guys, how, you know, what's wrong with you? How could you do this? And, you know, I wasn't the first person to ask that. So they, they just uh, laughed a little bit and said, well, have you read the book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad? And I said, well, no, no, I haven't. They said, well, read that book. And if you still have that question, come and talk to us. Is that fair enough? And I've, I'm sure a lot of the listeners here to your show have started the same way. And I, I read the book and I, I was blown away, right? I'm like, I get it. I understand. They left the ladder and now they own the ladder. And obviously in the book, they talk so much about the journey of owning property and getting that rental rental income. And that's what got us inspired. But we looked at the Swedish market and we we're like, this is not going to work. And we looked around the European market and we identified Spain and the United Kingdom as the two top markets in Europe. Spain very much based on the tourism industry, which we felt was, you know, it's, it's just a little too, too shaky a foundation. So we said, all right, the UK, you've got tourism, you've got a strong economy, you got a stable economy, you got a superpower. All right, we're doing the UK. We got ourselves a mentor. We started our company in the UK. He connected us to a bunch of people and we promptly got ripped off for about 400,000 pounds. So so that's the start of my journey. (laughs) Yeah, 400,000. So say $600,000, almost all of it investor cash. I'd mortgaged my home to the hilt and, you know, taken out every piece of saving I could, which finally turned out to be about $120,000, $150,000. The rest was pure investment capital. And, you know, while we're going through this, deals are falling apart. My accountant calls me and says, Daniel, it's time to bankrupt your company. And, and I'll tell you, in Europe, bankruptcy, that is the ultimate failure. You know, it's not like in the US where it's like, well, you know, you got to fail three times before you become successful. Great. You got it under your belt quickly. In Sweden, it's like, if you failed once as an entrepreneur, it's over. You're done. And that's kind of Europe overall. But he called me and said that. And I'm like, oh no, it's over. I failed. I got to go back to a job. All these people are going to hate me. You know, and my and, and my ethics is I got to pay them back. So it's going to take the next 40 years of my working life. And then I'll retire as a broken old man. So this sucks. And I said, so what does this mean? He said, well, essentially what we'll do is we'll write off all that debt and you can start over fresh. I'm like, wait, what? I can start over fresh? He's like, yeah, we'll just write off the debt. You start a new company, you begin again. I'm like, wow, that's sounds pretty good. And you know, when you have that pressure on you, right, that stress, people calling you every day, and someone says, look, let's just start over clean slate, take what you've learned and do it again. It's like, oh, my God, 
a blessing, but I asked that one faithful question where I asked, well, that sounds great, but if I'm not paying that debt, who will? And he said, well, I mean, your investors are probably never going to see their money back. And I realized what he was saying. He was not asking me to start over. He was asking me to throw everyone else under the bus and then I could go off. And so I said, no, well, we can't do that. I have no idea how we're going to turn this business around, but we're not doing that. And that was when one of the, I mean, we've been blessed so many times. We've been so lucky. Yes, we were ripped off for 400,000 pounds, but we've been so lucky because we came into a connection that allowed us to do an event and host Kim Kiyosaki in Sweden for an event, you know, one of the authors of Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And so we met her and we, you know, we took her out to dinner and we got to know her and she actually became, you know, guided us a lot and jumped on multiple calls with my wife and myself. And she just gave us so much advice, how to restructure that debt, how to restructure the deals, and then how to go out and do new deals. And over the next following years, we were able to do a bit over a hundred property deals. And like the volume of quality deals then could compensate for those initial bad ones. And we were able to turn our business around. And, and that's where that last kind of little blessing in disguise came is, you know, if I've just done this with my own money and lost that money, no one would have really noticed this journey. But because I'd brought non-investors, because we'd gone through this journey and kind of publicly, when we did turn it around and we proved our ethics that we were paying people back and we, that we, you know, had that integrity, what happened was people started reaching out. People were like, wow, you've actually done it. You've actually become successful. And it wasn't just me claiming, it was actually me proving. And it was this little public spectacle. <laughs> and that's what led to Momentum Property Education finally becoming a business. So I wish Momentum had existed for me because it would have been so easy. <laughs> but because it didn't exist, I'm glad what happened to us happened to us because now we could create this business that we're very, very proud of. Incredible story. I've heard bits and pieces of that as I was kind of getting to know you and doing some research and things like that. I hadn't heard the full story. That is insane. Uh, it's very similar to something that kind of led me on my journey. I worked at a W-2 job. It's not the job I work for today. And I was supposed to get a life-changing commission check. And I got the call that said, you're not going to get that. And so I felt very similar. Like I was being bamboozled out of life-changing money. And it was the best thing that ever happened to me because it led me down a different journey. I got a quick question. Any of those investors in that first deal with the 400,000, are any of them now repeat investors? A couple of them are actually now coming back and looking at it. But well, I mean, I think what happens when you go through that and, and these important point here is that these were not experienced investors. These were very new investors. It was for many of them, their first investment. And so for them, I, again, the European, like I failed, I did not do my job. And I think it's taken a long time for the kind of the ethics part of it. The fact that I didn't just bankrupt my company to kind of come in because obviously they were expecting all this profit and they, they didn't get all that promised profit. They got their money, right? They walked away without a loss and, and in some cases, a bit of profit. So when they then now, a couple of years later, you know, emotions have kind of gone down. They look back and go like, wow, that's actually pretty good, cons all things considered. But when they're right there, I think you got to accept that you're not going to be the good guy, even if you're trying to be. And, and that's okay. You know, over time, you know, the ethics will win out. And I'm sure there are some that still don't appreciate what I did, but I know that I acted from a place of integrity. And I think that's the important thing. And that's what allows me now to go out and raise new money with confidence because I know how I treat people. I think giving them their money back is bending over backwards and doing the right thing from an integrity standpoint. And I like to tell people it's not necessarily that I can stop bad things from happening. You can't predict the world. I can't predict the world. It's the matter of how we react when those bad things happen that changes us as 
as people. Um, anything you learned from that experience and red flags that maybe you could avoid in the future or anything like that that you, you can share? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, for us, since we are internationals, what we do is, you know, we're not there crawling through properties. We're not there project managing the deal. One of the big problems was my mentor, he neglected to tell me how to actually project manage a deal because for him, it just wasn't a concern. He he invested, you know, he had his office and then he everything was in a walking range around his office. So every day at lunch, he would take a walk and he would walk by his ongoing project. And, you know, if the builders weren't there, he'd send them a text like, hey guys, I, I see you're a little late. Are you on the way? And, you know, they would answer. Yeah, of course, we're, we're just running late. We'll be there in five minutes. But if you hadn't sent that text, do you really think they would have been there? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and that was the thing is because we are international, a lot of people felt they could take advantage of us and they did. And that's where it really comes down to building a proper team and having the right people. So what we do in the UK, they're called uh, sourcing agents in the US, the equivalent would be a wholesaler. Mm-hmm. So what we do is we use wholesalers, but they have to provide the whole turnkey solution and they actually have to be good at it because there's a lot of people who claim to do that, but there is a difference. And so we have five criteria now that we look at. The first is we only work with people who have a decade's worth of experience. They were through, you know, the last crash or at least came in right after. They've experienced some ups and downs. They've done a lot of deals. They are a professional wholesaler in that they've now expanded and they actually have employees. Now that doesn't guarantee that you're good at what you do, but it does it does prove that they have recurring revenue, meaning either you're talking to an amazing sales rep who's just burning people, you know, scamming people one by one, or more likely he or she has recurring clients that keep coming back year after year and buying more property. That's a big, you know, proof. And it also means if they get sick, they have a team that can back up so your deal doesn't go south. Next, you got to make sure they have all the relevant insurances, licenses, whatever it is in the country you're investing in. You got to make sure that they have that. Finally, you got to know that they have that turnkey solution. They have the local team. We prefer if they actually own the local team, right? They own the management agency or lettings agency, as we say in the UK, they own the building company. You know, they they have this in-house or at least they have a project management firm. And for everything they don't have in-house, they have partnerships that will come in. And then the last part is really researching their reputation. And that is surprisingly easy. We do two things. We ask for references. And because we've been networking a lot, you know, I know most of the people people in the UK, you know, the the different like education company owners in the UK, I do clubhouse events with them, you know, weekly. So we kind of know each other and we kind of know everyone who's in the market. So that makes it very easy to me to ask for a testimonial from someone I know, right? Like say, look, tell me three people I can call and then I can make sure I know one of these people and I can call them as a friend. Uh, But if you don't have those connections, still ask for the testimonials. But then what you can do is you can also go to like the local network meetup group of property investors and just kind of go like, well, you know, this person, is this a good wholesaler? And what will probably happen is if they are good, the group will say yes. If they're not, what probably will happen is that they'll come, everyone will come and say, no, they're no good. Come and work with me instead. (laughs) And that's where it's hard. You know, the sharks will start circling. So you got to be a little careful about it, but really going through that due diligence, Googling them, stuff like that. It does give you a lot of info. One thing I love about your education material is you're in Sweden, I'm in the US, you're international, I'm more local to the markets I serve, but your principles apply regardless of where you are. And the principle that I'm really hearing there are you have a select criteria 
that you're looking at that doesn't guarantee success with that individual, but it at least weeds out a lot of the noise. And I think one of the things that we all struggle with in today's society is there's so many options that we chase the shiny rabbit as opposed to saying no to the wrong things and maybe to the right things. And then the second piece of thing I would add in there is whenever I'm interviewing people to come onto my team or anything like that, I always ask the question for a reference. And then I say, hey, when I call them, what is the one thing they're going to say that you need to work on? And that way it just says, when I call them, so they know I will call this person and ask yeah. them and it prepares them like, go ahead and tell me what they're going to say. And if it matches up, then I at least know this person's got some self-awareness or is right about them. So this is great. Then I want to dig into the 25 sources of capital because your principles apply regardless of where you are. We don't have really time to go through all 25 of them, but what are some of your favorite that you've kind of identified here. Right. So that I mean they're they all go from creative to boring, right? One source is just having your own capital, right? So there are the boring ones, but then you can get really creative with this. And you know, there are the classics, you just raise money from investors, right? You do your joint ventures and stuff, but then you can go all in. And one that, you know, we were bouncing around here before the interview is you could literally create your own cryptocurrency. You know, you can follow on this really exciting trend that's going on in the market and create an asset backed property backed coin that will generate a passive income based on the yield of the property portfolio. That's a really exciting thing to do. It, it does take a little work because you, I, I recommend you do it legally. I mean, literally you can set up a cryptocurrency in like 10 minutes and then, you know, it's there, but it won't be secure and it won't be legal. So make sure you do it right. But if you do it right, you know, the trend, you know, people love putting money into cryptocurrency. So why should they be running around giving money to all these other people? Have them give it to you instead. Uh, so that's a fun one. <laughs> do, do, you, do you know anybody doing that today? Just out of curiosity. I mean, I know there are some different uh, property-backed cryptocurrencies now. Uh, we work with a crowdfunding platform that is based on a blockchain and based on cryptocurrency. It is a an offshoot of it, and uh, we're a partners. We're, we're you know we we work with them very closely, and we finance our clients' deals through it, which is really really cool. It, it allows us to finance up to eighty percent of our clients' deals. So when you go through our education, we don't just teach you how to do it. We don't just teach you you know introduce you to the right people, we'll actually put our money at stake and we'll actually finance your deals as well, which I really like. But then I'm working right now with a couple companies to kind of get this done in Europe. I believe it is actually easier in the US to do it. And I believe like with everything, it's a little, you know, that everything has gone a little further in the US. What we're making sure to do, technically I could set up a cryptocurrency very easily, but we want to make sure it's EU regulated so that we can go out to even retail investors and raise money and really build a big, secure real cryptocurrency out of it. Uh, so it takes a little more work. It takes a little more of an investment, but it's been an exciting journey to work on. I, I'm super excited to see how you guys progress in that, because if you think about it, the US dollar is just based off of the fact that somebody you have faith that somebody will accept that. Whereas if you develop a cryptocurrency with property backing, it's at least, hey, this property secures that coin. So there's something behind it. Well, it becomes like the new gold standard, but that actually generates a cash flow. Mm -hmm. <laughs> 
it, it really is. It really is a cool concept. And I, I know people are working on it. So what, what what's fun about these sources of income is you don't have to be innovative. All you got to do is look at like, what are other people doing? And then copy paste and then put your little spin on it. What makes yours unique? You don't have to reinvent the wheel. And that's, that's what's so cool about it. And so there's, there are just so many ways you can go about it. Yeah. I want you to tell uh, the story of calling businesses, because I think that's a super interesting story that uh, a yeah. lot of people who are looking to, to get into real estate who have no money, this is a great, great solution for them. Yeah, this is a funny story. And it really does prove that anyone can sit down and do this because this this was my second job as a 15 year old kid. I was hired as a telephone sales rep. Yes, I was that guy. <laughs> and but what was cool was the job I had was calling people and inviting them to come to investment seminars. So it's an ironic, you know, full circle. Now I'm the person, you know, leading the seminar. That was my first job was calling people and booking them to investing. And what happened was I turned out to be pretty good at it, you know, shockingly, right? <laughs> but I got quickly promoted from the, you know, calling people and disturbing them at dinner to actually calling businesses. And uh, so as a 15 year old kid, I'm sitting there and calling CEOs and CFOs of large companies. And, you know, I call them up and go like, hey, I'm Daniel Wood. I work for this company. And I want to invite you to the seminar because I imagine and believe that you're mismanaging your corporate cash accounts. As 15, you were doing that. As a 15 year old brat, <laughs> you know, barely, you know, barely got my voice changed, you know, barely hit puberty. And I'm calling the, you know, the Swedish equivalent of a Fortune 500 company and going, hey, you guys are not managing your money right. Let me explain to you what you should be doing. <laughs> but it worked, you know, because they knew because a company, what they'll do is they'll putting their money into three different parts. They do their payouts to the investors, you know, they'll pay out their dividends, they reinvest in the business, and then they try to manage their money. And what happens is you have the people in charge of this, it's the CEO, and the CEO is mainly working on, you know, reinvesting into the business. The CFO is very often tasked with handling the, you know, the owners, so they're working on the dividends, which means the cash account where a lot of money ends up, you know, in some companies, we're talking millions, in some companies, we're talking billions of dollars sitting there in a cash account, as you mentioned before, Matt, making like 0.25%. That's a quarter percent per year. There's no one in the team that has the time and opportunity to manage that money, especially in a smaller company. And so that money just sits there. And now I was calling as a 15 year old kid and telling them, you're not managing this right. Come to a seminar. Imagine an adult calling them and saying, Hey, I have a solution for you. Come and sit down. Let me take you to lunch. You know, if a 15 year old kid can do it, a grown up can. And what was great was I learned, I didn't even know what we were pitching at these seminars when I started out. That's how easy, you know, relatively easy it was to book these meetings. It turned out that they had, you know, your regular assets, right? They had their, you know, their stocks, their bonds and stuff, but their flagship product was property investing. Yep. And they had people, these companies invest in their property portfolio and they had a property fund. So I was literally raising money for a property fund as a 15 year old kid calling companies. So if, you know, I know how scary it can be to do these things, but remember, if you are older than 15, period, you are are in a better situation than I was calling and I was successful, meaning I know you can do it and you can raise money and companies need help with this. So that's a, you know, just get three companies to give you their money and imagine their entire staff are now working to raise money for you. They're working to make sales and that part of that money will go to your property portfolio. One, two, three companies, that's enough to make your property portfolio forever. Yeah. I mean, that's definitely something that's twirling around in my brain on the number of different 
entrepreneurs that I own that probably have cash accounts that are just sitting there. And if you don't think this is a good strategy, I'll give two examples that kind of come to my mind when you were talking about this. Did you know Airbnb got started or had secured like startup cash by selling cereal during the Democratic convention? Yeah, out in right. Colorado? I heard that. Yeah, I remember yep. that. Yeah. Yep. They were trying to get money for their idea and they were cash uh, light. So what they did is went out and sold cereal. And I, I'm saying that to say a point that a lot of businesses will look at this as an opportunity to diversify away from their main source of income to stay afloat during bad times. Another example that comes to my mind is Walt Disney. Like we think of Disney and Disney World today, but back in the 40s and 30s, Disney was just a movie studio. And then they went out and bought these huge acres of land in Florida and created a theme park out of it. That is real estate. That is property. They had to find a spot for that cash. So that's really interesting. Have you been successful with that strategy today on raising money from properties for your funds that way? We're doing a development right now in Manchester and in, uh, in well in a suburb called Stockport. We got this property, Central City. It's perfect location. And I got the deal on the table and my partner or my friend who became my partner said, look, we need a million pounds to be able to do this deal. I need it quickly. Can you go out and raise it? I looked at the deal and basically we're turning it into a hotel and the returns are just off the chart. They're amazing. And so I said, yes, I'll figure that out. Let's do this deal. All right. Which one of the 25 sources can I go to, to get the, the 1 million? And in this case I landed on, well, let's just get some JV partners. And I put together like a syndication of 10 investors that funded the deal. And so we did that. And I was able to do that in about three weeks. So it all depends on where you are. So if you have the contact, uh, what we do is it's a list. It's on our YouTube channel. So they, you can find the 25 sources of capital on YouTube. So you just go to Momentum Property Education on YouTube and you'll find it. And we'll walk you through all of these. You can go through them. They, they kind of vary in, in kind of complexity, difficulty, creativeness, excitement. And so you just look at like, what is the easiest? What is the most low hanging fruit right now? And I've had for years, I've had in mind, like, right, I'm going to set up a call center, just like the one I was working in. And we're going to call companies and we're going to raise the money, but I just haven't needed it yet. So I haven't put in that effort. But uh, if you want to grow quicker than I am, which is awesome, you want to do even bigger deals, that's a brilliant route to go down. If you want to combine that with starting your own fund, which is something we're working on right now, then that works even better because then you have a fund and if it's regulated, it looks serious and it looks good and it makes it even easier to get the investors in. So that's something that probably if and when we open our fund, we'd probably just tack on a call center and then do that strategy because it would be so efficient. Yeah, I would encourage everybody to go check that out on your YouTube channel because at the end of the day, you might not start your own cryptocurrency. But what I find is that by listening to things like that, it just opens my eyes to the creativity of how to do a deal. And I like to say that people are saying right now that deals are hard to find and that no one's making money, my market's too expensive and things like that. I think because they're only looking at, I can only do a deal this way. And really, if you expand your knowledge on what a deal looks like, how you can structure a win-win for everybody involved, then all of a sudden you start seeing deals everywhere. I don't have a problem with deals, uh, not finding enough deals. I have a problem with too many deals that I can't go do myself. So I would encourage everybody to go check that out, if nothing more than just to expand your mind and the creativity behind doing deals. And I'm sure the people listening here, brilliant as you all are, you're going to come up with other ways to finance deals, which is really fun. You know, these are the 25 ones I've spent a decade finding, but I'm sure there are dozens and dozens and dozens more ways to do it. And that's the fun thing too, is you can start combining them, right? Create your fund, start calling companies. You can do joint ventures. You can use a crowdfund. You can do these different things. And then you can create synergies in between. And it becomes, you know, there's so many different ways to go about it. Yeah. Um, I 
want to switch gears on you real quick because we um, we I talk to a lot of investors that are just on the beginning of their real estate journey, and you have your three common mistakes that most investors face when they're getting involved in their first real estate transaction. Can you walk us through those three common mistakes, and then maybe we'll ask a couple questions around that? Yeah, sure, absolutely. That's a brilliant question. I love that you ask it. We actually learned this from Kim Kiyosaki when we met her. She she talked about them. So the first one was uh, or is I should say is mindset, right? And when she talks about mindset, it's not the hype. It's not the excitement of it. It is the understanding of that whatever you do, you know, you're going to have challenges and setbacks. And probably when you go into this, the world is not going to cheer you on, right? You know, when you tell people, I'm going to be a property investor, they're going to go, you're nuts. That's not going to work. That might work for rich people, but that does not work for you. Or if that was such a good idea, why isn't everyone doing it? Right. And then when you fail, because you will face setbacks on the way. And I mean, I got ripped off for $400,000. What do you think everyone was telling me at that point? Yeah. Well, I told you, I told you that crap wasn't going to work. Well, what do you think they're saying now? (laughs) (laughs) Now it's a different tune, but it took me a decade to change that tune, right? So that's one part. So just having the mindset to overcome other people's opinions. So that's one big mistake a lot of people make is they let that outside opinion hold them back. Let me ask a question. Do you do anything from a mindset standpoint that kind of helps you develop that? Because I believe that's a muscle. I believe that can get calloused over and that you can build that grit. Do you do anything specific to kind of help build that right mindset? Well, I think for me, I mean, I was always in, I was always in sports. And so I always had that kind of competitive edge. But I think the big thing was when I was 17 years old, uh, 17, 18, right around there, I was working in my third job, you know, my first if you say real job that I was working full time. Um, and the company saw that Brian Tracy was coming to Sweden to hold a, a presentation. And, you know, they've got us VIP tickets and we went. That was my first introduction to personal development, anything of this. And I just went crazy. I read every single book he'd written and that's like 30 books. And I watched all of his videos. I bought these really expensive seminar DVDs for like a hundred bucks a piece. And I listened to every single one of them. And what I kind of compilated a lot things from it. What I did was I set a goal. I printed out a piece of paper that I put on my mirror at home and it had this gorgeous picture of, you know, like a beach in the Maldives. And that was like, that's my future life. That's where I'm going. And then I had my goal. Like I am financially free. I have, you know, this much money and I have this kind of lifestyle and I'm this happy by the date. Right. So it was all these things. And then I had this mantra that I would do. And I actually, it was really funny. I did this with my old sales reps when we were, when I was in a, in a sales team is every morning we would do this mantra and we would say, I like myself. I love my work. I'm going to be happy today. I've updated it to, I love my life now. It was, I love my work. I'm going to be happy today. I deserve it and I can do it. And so I would say that three to five times every day, you know, I like myself, I love my life, I'm going to be happy today. I deserve it, I can do it. Brian Tracy said it so well, it's like your confidence is like a balloon. And every time you say, I like myself, it's like you're pumping that balloon. I love my life, I'm pumping that balloon. I'm going to be happy today. Yes, I am. I deserve it. I can do it. And it just pumped me up. And I did this literally for years. And I I don't do it every day anymore because I have that kind of base confidence now. But it really programmed my inner voice to be that I'm actually pretty good at things. The results aren't always there, but it's, you know, I'm still good. (laughs) Yeah. And and so I have that confidence. And we do that a lot with the kids too. We'll we'll do that mantra and you know, they'll shout it out with us. And I think it just gives creates that base confidence level. 
I'm smiling ear to ear right now if, if you're not watching uh, the video because I did, uh, I'm an Ironman athlete. So 2.4 mile oh, swim, 112 yeah. oh, mile bike, 26.2 mile run. We, we'll, we'll have to nerd out afterwards. But <laughs> I remember specifically my first one, I, the marathon starts to get tough and you go through some dark, dark places. And I just kept saying that you are a champion, you are an Ironman, you are a champion, you are an Ironman. Oh, yeah, and I must have said that for like five miles and it's amazing. It, it was the first time in my life when I realized that positive self-talk can influence your actions and the way you feel. And it felt really foo-foo to me until that moment. And I saw it in action. So I'd encourage everybody to take your advice there. Oh, I and- definitely agree. I was doing a triathlon. Let me just uh, another triathlon story. My first one, it was a half Ironman and I learned that I was horrible at the bike. Yeah. So one bicycle, like everyone was passing me, like literally I was good at the swim and then we got to the bike and you know, hundreds of people were passing me and you know we've been going for what feels like hours i'm dying there on the bicycle i just want to give up everyone keeps passing me and now it's been like five minutes and no one's passed me and i'm like well you know that can't be good and i turned this corner and i could see for about two miles behind me on you know on the path and there isn't a single bicycle in sight and i'm like oh my god i am last i am now dead last in this competition it wasn't a professional competition everyone was was rookies like me and I'm dead last and I just want to give up I just want to like at the next checkpoint I'm throwing my bicycle away I'm never getting up again and I kept going and I got to that checkpoint and I just said, all right, I'll just go a little bit more. And I kept, you know, kept that self-talk, like I can do it. And then people started passing me again. <laughs> and it turned out I wasn't last. I was just, you know, these people caught up another three miles to catch up to me. And then I got to the run and it turned out I'm actually a really good runner. So I got to pass everyone back. Oh. You know, I passed a couple hundred people back on the run, but you know, you go th- sometimes in life, that's how it is. You know, you start out really well. You start out exciting. I think it's Robin Sharma says that in the 5am club, you know, change it's hard at first. It's messy in the middle and glorious at the end. And that's really how my my first half Ironman was. It was a horrible journey until the last leg of the run. And it's like, I am almost there. You get in and it's like, oh my God, I've done it. Yeah. And I think that's what your investment journey sadly often is like. Now our students have had a very good journey comparatively, but still they'll have setbacks. You know, I teach them every, every mistake I've made, I put on the table and we show them off so that people can avoid them. But everyone is so creative that they come up with their own ways of making mistakes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so mindset is one. What's, uh, what's the second mistake you see a lot? Yeah, so so the second one is just the lack of action, right? Because without action, no results. You can have all the knowledge in the world, but if you don't take action, you're just not going to get the results. So that's a super, super key. And the third one is really just that trying to do it by yourself. That was one of the mistakes I made. I tried to do it by myself. And then a lot of people, you you might start by yourself, you'll make mistakes, and then you go off to find a mentor. And that's what I did. But then I found the wrong mentor, right? So he guided me into a lot of mistakes. It wasn't his fault. He was great guy. He's actually the godfather of my middle son. So, I mean, I love the guy to death, but he didn't know my journey because he was a local Brit investing in his local area. And I wanted to invest internationally. Yes, it happened to be that area or that country, but it wasn't the same thing. And that misalignment cost me 400,000 pounds or about $600,000. So you really got to make sure you get the right mentor, the person who's done the same journey that you're looking to make, face challenges, face setbacks, overcome them, and now is successful. Yeah. That's one of the things I love about real estate is it really is a team sport. And 
And I think I've been on this journey now for five years. And at the beginning, I was able to do a lot by myself. But at a certain point, you can't scale past your own limitations, whether it's W2, family responsibility, Iron Man training, and things like that. Uh, you just can't know everything about everything and be everywhere. So it is a team sport. Any, any advice for somebody out there trying to develop their own team or meet their own team or find their right mentor and things like that? Yeah, that, that's where it gets tough. I think you need to do some study first. So that way you'll be able to recognize if someone knows what they're talking about because if you don't know anything about property if they start using buzzwords they start talking about yeah we're going to do these lease options or seller financing and then we're going to use you know 25 sources of capital to fund the deal right we can throw out these buzzwords that doesn't mean we actually know what we're talking about but if you know property right if you know the process of doing a property deal one of the things we give every, everyone, even those, you know, you don't have to pay us, you take our free introduction course, we'll give you what we call the getting started checklist. And it will walk you through every single step you need to take to go from starting out to buying your first property. And just knowing that means that if someone starts talking about how they're going to do deals, and they're not following these steps, you know that, wait a sec, they probably don't actually know what they're doing. You know, if they want to do things in an opposite order, it's probably because they've never gone through the order before. They haven't gone through the process. Process. So the more you learn, the easier it will be to spot the people who aren't trusted. But then it's really the same thing getting a mentor as getting a wholesaler or a sourcing agent. Go back to the five, the five criteria. Get someone with five years of experience or 10 years of experience, you know, built a team, got the licenses, the insurances, have all the contacts and connections you need, and then have a great reputation. If you can find someone who can fulfill those five things, well, then you're gold, then you're fine. Yeah, I'll give you a shameless plug there because I went and downloaded that. Um, uh, easy start checklist just to oh, kind of did. get oh, a basis so cool. of your knowledge and things that you're out there teaching. And again, I'll shamelessly plug again, one of the things I absolutely love about the education that you teach is even though you're international and even though you're in Sweden and even though you're investing in the UK, these principles apply everywhere, right? There might be some local laws that depend on zoning and Airbnbs and things like that. <laughs> but the essential finding good team members and the checklist, it's all the same no matter where you are. Yeah. And I mean, that's one of the steps is go make sure that you know the local laws and regulations. So we don't, in our introduction courses, we're just teaching you the overall principles. Then when you get further with us, then we're talking about, well, Article 4 area in the UK and how you do this and how you do that. But in the initial startup, it's just about understanding those principles. I really appreciate that, Matt, you saying yeah. that. Yeah. So let's switch gears into our last round here. It's the same five questions we ask everyone. I'll start with the first one, but I think I might know the answer already. What's your favorite book? Well, you know, a book that's changed my life. It's hard to give you something else. I mean, Rich Dad, Poor Dad is amazing, but I will, because I've already mentioned it, I'll give you another one that I do think everyone should listen to. And it's uh, Snowball. It is yes. the biography of Warren Buffett. It is so cool hearing his story step by step. So um, yeah, I highly recommend that one as well. Yeah, I finished that at the end of last year and it's, oh, it's, oh, a, yeah. it's a dense book. It's 800 <laughs> pages. So <laughs> grab you a big old cup of coffee because it's going to take yeah, a minute. Yeah, I, I went audible on it. And, and actually, it's very, very well narrated. So it, it is a very nice listen. I think one of the things I love about that is it's like, I'm a finance guy, and I found it interesting enough. And if you're not a finance person, I feel like they do enough explaining of some of the, the tactics and things that he was doing. So entry level to advanced, it's, it's got something in there for you. Yeah. The second one is, I believe the person you are 10 years from now is a correlation to the thing 
things you do every single day. What is something that you do every single day? Oh, that is such a good question. And there is so much, right? <laughs> we have so many habits, but what I'll, what I'll go to is maybe my morning routine, because I think that's where most of the day start. My alarm clock uh, rings at 5 a.m., so uh, like I mentioned before, the 5am club by Robin Sharma, <laughs> um, I get I, you know, I roll out of bed, I will, you know, I'll drink a tall glass of water, you know, rehydrate. First, I always tend to check my to do list, I, I have a system that makes my to do list show up automatically, I'm not supposed to check that first, but I can't really help myself. So I'll always do that, take a look at it, see what I got planned for the day. And then I go into my workout. So I have a health nutrition, personal trainer coach, I call my health guru, Joe, I have a tailored training. So I'll do that morning training. And then as I'm getting done, that's when the kids start walking up, they wander into the, you know, bleary eyed into the living room, I start cooking them their breakfast, and they usually usually will turn on some music. And so I have a playlist with like classic Disney songs, right? So we'll listen to like DuckTales and you know, yeah. the Lion King songs, and you know, we'll sing and dance to that. So that just puts me in that mood, that energy. And then uh, and then we get into the day then uh, you know I know what I got to do I take my to-do list I go from start to end and then I get some time to spend with brilliant people like yourself <laughs> yeah I love the miracle morning the book and the concept and, yeah. and capturing that first little bit of the day so I'm glad you There's went into so that many that promote that too I mean I was on entrepreneurship on fire a great podcast he talks a lot about you know miracle mornings the book the compound effect talks a lot about you know the book ending of the day I love the 5 a.m club I think it's a brilliant book about that start of the day. And the thing is, lots of people are talking about it because <laughs> it actually is really, really valuable. It's not just a trendy thing. It's something that most successful people do. They get up early. And uh, I, I've started to, I've started to, uh, I mean, a few years back, I, I had a really hard time. I'm not a morning person naturally. So what I did was I put my alarm clock on the other side of the room and it forced me to get up. And over time, now I can barely sleep past 6am, even, you know, when I don't have an alarm clock. So what is the next, the next question is what's the best piece of advice you've ever received? Oh, that is a hard one. Uh, actually, you know what, I got a great story to that. So right in the middle of this situation, we were going through with the finances, I was, you know, I was stressed out of my mind, right when we'd lost those 400,000 pounds. And, you know, we were working so hard to try to turn things around. But you know, people were calling asking for their money. I was afraid of, you know, can I take care of my family? And I sat down with a man. He's a management consultant called Stephen Moranville. And what's really cool about Stephen, he's blind, but his whole concept is, I think it's venture with vision. And it's so cool when you sit with him because he's like, he sees your soul, right? He can't actually see you, but he sees into your soul. And I was telling him about this. I was telling him about how stressed I was, how I wasn't sleeping. I was afraid for my family. And he just looked at me and he said, Daniel, I understand, but I want you to know something. I want you to know that you are the type of person that you will never let that happen to your family. You will always figure it out because I know you can and you'll be fine. And it was like a weight just lifted off my shoulders. And I said, all right, Steven, I'm doing it. Let's go do it. And I came out running. And that was one of those flashpoints where, you know, it was a crossroads. I could have just said, no, you know what? I'm giving up. I'm going to get, I'm going to go back to a well-paying job and I'll be fine. Or no, you know what? I'm going into the next gear and I'm going to have this life that I want for me and my family. And Steven said that. So I think, I think that was one of the most powerful things. Just have someone look at my soul and say, yes, I believe in you. Yeah. Sometimes the best piece of advice is really just the time when we hear it more than anything. 
thing in the time you really receive it. It really, and sometimes, you know, people have said that to me all my life because I just happen to know a lot of good people, but that was the, that was when I really needed to hear it. So it's, it was one of those, you know, when the student is ready, the master will come kind of Kung Fu moments. I've got a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles in my mind right there. <laughs> yeah, it was really one of those. What is the thing that you're most proud of in your life? I want to say my kids. Um, so I got a three-year-old, a, a five-year-old and a, well, he's seven now, but he's turning, he will have turned eight by the time the show comes out and they're kind, they're helpful. What's been really fun is they've just started playing hockey. So this season, they all three started playing hockey together. They joined the same team. N- none of them could skate. So they, it was just so embarrassing. You know, we sitting the, up there watching them and they're all just falling over and all the other kids look like they've been born on the ice. And now four months later, they're out there and they're scoring and they're playing so well. And they're some of the best kids on the field. I've been roped in as one of the coaches. So I'm now helping, you know, all the other kids, but also I have an eye on mine. And, and it's just been so fun, not just because, you know, they're having the result, but seeing their confidence grow with seeing, you know, they couldn't keep up. And now they're going like, well, I'm the fastest kid out there. I can do it. And they've really gotten that I can do anything mentality now because they proved it to themselves. And and I think that's been that's been one of the coolest things that that I think as a as a parent you can ever see is your kids not necessarily succeeding in the outward results, but feeling the pride of having success in themselves, right? Yeah, I had a friend that just had a baby probably two months ago. And that's one of his things he said to me is like the blissful ignorance of kids just puts everything in perspective of what's important in life. Yeah, no, it's so easy to say point to my own, like we turned around a failed, you know, a failure, we built the portfolio, we, you know, we became financially free, we're actually the founding investors in a golf resort, we we have an education company, we, we can now fund our students deals, all that is really cool, but it kind of pales in comparison. And at the same time, it's something billions of people have done and will do. I'm not yeah. special in any way, but it's still the most amazing thing I've done. Yeah, you're still not the fastest skater on your kids ice skating team, though. No, no, <laughs> they're, they're already faster than me, those guys. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Our last question is, if you could sit down and eat a bowl of ice cream with anyone dead or alive, who would it be and why? All right. So my, my, actually my spontaneous one was, I want to just sit with my family and do it, but I'm going to give you a little more fun, fun one. I think it would be to sit down with, it would be either. No, I honestly, I think it would be Tony Robbins. I think I'd choose to sit with Tony Robbins and really get into kind of the nitty gritty about how, you know, how he builds his companies, how he's, he's managing 12 companies right now. And, you know, the lives he's changed across the world. And, you know, we're trying to do that. We're coming, you know, he comes from a, you know, per, personal development side, we're coming, we use a lot of personal development, but we're coming from the investment kind of financial side, but it's like the wheel of life kind of exercise. He works on one part of it first, you know, your health and wellness and energy. We're working on the finances, but it all ties into the circle of life. I would dream to have the kind of global results and global effect that he has. So yeah, sharing a bowl of ice cream with Tony would be pretty, pretty cool. Uh, As healthy as he is, I don't know if he would eat the ice cream, but if he did, you would have to have a lot of it because that man is huge. Well, actually though, that's a funny story. We actually run his events in Sweden for Success Resources. So I actually speak on his behalf a lot. And, you know, he was doing the last UPW he was doing before the end of, you know, the pandemic came. And we were there with a bunch of our clients and, you know, I was hanging out with Success Resources and stuff backstage. And he actually told a story about how he met his wife and they were on this amazing date together and they'd be talking about healthy living and all these things. And 
And then all of a sudden they get to dessert and she orders this huge like ice cream fudge sundae. And for him, he actually realized that, well, you know what? There is something to being said about being too extreme. You got to cut yourself some slack. So I will choose to imagine that Tony will make an exception because he'll have the honor of eating ice cream with me. <laughs> there you go. And if not, you could repeat his wife's advice to him. Exactly. I'll, <laughs> I'll tell him. I know your wife said this and I'm going to yeah. quote her. Be yeah. smart. Yeah. Well, Daniel, this has been fantastic. Again, I think even though you're international, a lot of your principles that you teach and you talk about apply regardless of where you're investing or what specific niche you're investing inside of real estate. If our listeners wanted to find out more about you and some of the educational content that you produce, where's the best place we can send them? I appreciate that. So, I mean, there is always our Facebook community, the International Property Investors on Facebook. There is our YouTube channel, which is where we have lots of videos. If you want to get pretty much everything we talked about in this episode and, you know, everything we kind of had to skip over, you can go to MomentumGift.com and we have a two hour introduction to property investing. It's the three simple steps to property investing and the three most common mistakes new investors make and how to avoid them. And from there, you'll get the getting started checklist and you'll be able to access the 25 source of capital and everything else. So I think that going to Momentum Gift is really the best place to kind of enter our world. <laughs> awesome, awesome. Well, we'll leave a link to that in the show notes, but thank you so much for your time. I know it's late over in Sweden, so thank you for being flexible <laughs> and I uh, look forward to having you back on the show sometime soon. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you so much, Matt. Thank you for listening to Ice Cream with Investors. If you like what we serve you here, it would mean the world to me if you would like, subscribe, and leave a review on your favorite podcast app.